0: Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Today, we're looking at electricity networks and the increasing stresses and strains that they're going to be under as more and more renewable generations connected, Heat and transport are increasingly electrified. The patterns of how electricity is transported and distributed have already changed, in some cases dramatically, over the last couple of decades. And that change will carry on over the next years and decades as well. So we're already seeing in some countries renewable generation being curtailed or switched off in growing quantities due to network constraints. And to get us to a net zero future, Clearly, we've got to take as much advantage and connect of renewable generation as we can and connect as much of it and make sure that we can meet the electrification of heat and transport as well. So lots of challenges to unpick these and explore them and look at some of the solutions. I'm joined by two guests today. Let's say hello. Uh, first, hello. hi. Uh, so Suzanne Nies, who's General Manager for Germany at Smartwise. Hello, Suzanne. Hello. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Now, can you give us a quick elevator pitch, maybe for, for you in terms of your background, because you've had a long background in the sector, and for SmartWise, who our listeners may not know?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Well, I'm very happy to join this podcast today. with a very important topic, how to get more out of the grid. I'm Suzanne nice. I'm since more than uh, 15 years in Energy beginning gas and then the power sector working for your electric and and since two years and a half, uh, being the general manager for the so called Dach region Germany, Switzerland, Austria, but also for Ukraine, uh, which is interesting, uh, of course, and, and uh, Spain. So, what is the, the role of smart wires? We are a young 12 year old company, was set up in the Silicon Valley after a blackout in one of the US. Uh, Federal entities, its power electronics, its facts devices that help optimize the existing grid.
0: Okay, uh, and the existing grid for transmission, for distribution, for all different voltage levels.
1: For everything. Uh, it is uh, transmission. Uh, the, the impact is very high on high voltage. Uh, that is maybe the low-hanging fruit to start with, but also the distribution grid faces more and more challenges and can be optimized with our. Devices, uh, actually, it's kind of an artificial lengthening or shortening of lines. Uh, you okay. put a DC component into a line and make it artificially longer or shorter and so influence the Kirchhoff famous laws. The distribution of the system is much better after and you can put much more renewables, generation, uh, electricity into the system so that the, expo- the transport capacity of your network is increasing you all know that lines come late, 12 years in average in Europe to
0: build small lines. Okay, thanks Suzanne. We'll come back to you shortly. Let's say hello to our second guest today, uh, my Delta EE colleague and expert, John Ferris. Hello, John. Good morning. Um, John, can you give us a bit of context in terms of those network challenges that I outlined at the beginning and bring that to life a bit more for our
2: listeners? Yes, certainly. So networks are really the last natural monopoly in the energy sector, not facing competition, um, incentivized as they have been for decades to build more grid, to accommodate growing demands. They are not the traditionally quickest companies responding to the energy transition and yet they're now facing a huge change in a very short space of time where we are looking at bringing a terawatt of renewable generation to the european grid often located in areas that haven't traditionally cited generation in areas where you it's a long way from demand and the need to transport power from where it's generated to where it's consumed is a hugely important part of, um, of the electricity system. At the same time, we're seeing a big increase in electricity demand as we electrify heat and transport, and Changing the time pattern and the location of of demand, meaning that we're increasingly seeing bottlenecks on the grid. We're seeing congestion, and we're seeing massive underutilization of grids that are being built to accommodate the peak power flows that might occur for just a few hours of the year, um, leaving a lot of spare capacity unused.
0: Okay, so they're really more and more in the spotlight then. And what struck me about what you said is that, well, one thing, a couple of things you said, and one thing Suzanne said. Suzanne, you talked about twelve years being the average time for, for building a new line. John, you said the network companies have traditionally not not been fast moving. I guess they've not needed to be fast moving, um, and that's not been their culture, and their um, it's not it's not been yeah. the way they've worked.
1: It's, it's, it's... To add some thoughts, I think it was was exactly, John, what you said on the, the, the role of networks. Maybe to add to this also the fact that we see an increasing complexity now. With, uh, the, we talk about hydrogen, the gas networks. We are linking up networks in a totally different way from before transport was mentioned by you. When it comes to speed, the question that you uh, made, uh, now, uh, John, on uh, they are not known for moving fast. That's right, uh, they are not known for moving fast and very often the argument is used, they are in charge of security of supply. And this is always a bit like kind of a, a passe-partout uh, argument. It's the joker they have, but it's also the nightmare they have. Yeah? So it's a bit of both. I would say in between of the nightmare and the joker should be transparency. And that is also a challenge that we see with such uh, a monopolies. Uh, the transparency on decision making, on data they have is not exactly there they should be today. And it would help to crowdsource ideas, how to make uh, solutions uh, that are more efficient than those that are used today.
0: So we, we might have some people from network companies, I'm sure we do, listening to the podcast saying, yeah, but, but we're doing a lot, we're changing, we're moving forward. Um, John and then Suzanne, ha- how much do you see that change? And I guess coming back to the
2: point about speed, what's your view on, on speed? So we're definitely seeing a lot of change in, in a lot of network companies. Often it's in the form of innovation departments and innovation teams that are tasked with looking at these new approaches. Uh, and I think that we're starting to recognize that the traditional approach of gradually upgrading the grid building it out building that long-term infrastructure which is always going to be part of what needs to be done is going to be inefficient from a cost perspective and impractical from a time perspective to address the challenges that we're facing now the difficulty that that, that I see across a lot of the businesses is how do you bridge that gap between the innovation team that is looking at pilot projects and trials of new technologies and bringing that into the business as usual, changing the mindset of how you go about operating, planning and building a grid to accommodate New technologies and new approaches like flexibility markets, particularly when the regulatory structure is still incentivizing them to build networks over the longer term.
0: Okay, so there's a couple of things there there's the innovation to to business as usual, um, and there's a regulation, regulatory framework. As you said at the beginning, John, these are natural monopolies, so they're The way they earn money, uh, the way they make profit, if they're privately held, is all down to the regulator. Um, And so the regulator, in a way, drives and dictates a lot of their behavior. Suzanne, before I go to you, on regulation, John, how how quickly is that as big a challenge as the or is that one of the biggest challenges in this area?
2: I think typically the, the one type of organisation in, in the electricity system that moves even slower than the networks is usually the regulator. So I, I think it, it is a challenge. Regulation often, often does persist. Um lo- even short-term regulation tends to last longer than it's intended to so the importance of getting that right of consulting widely with the industry of making sure that it's it's accepted and meets the needs means that that does that does take time and is often quite slow to react to new technologies and, and new approaches we are starting to see performance-based regulation uh certainly being discussed and starting to be implemented uh, in a number of of, of countries. Um, In the GB market, the move towards Totex or total expenditure rather than pure CapEx regulation is one example of of how that's changing. So having incentives for efficient use of the network, not just how big the network is, but there's a, a, a lot a lot more that regulators could go to incentivize use of new technologies, implementation of innovations, and look at how efficiently the grid is used. Part of the challenge in doing that is that the level of monitoring that we have on grids is inadequate for that type of regulation because we haven't been installing network monitoring uh, because it hasn't been needed. So the digitalization of, of the grid is a prerequisite to then be able to change the regulation. So you have this circular argument where Falling behind technology means that regulation is slowed, which means the implementation of new technologies is slowed and tr- trying to break out of that cycle is happening in small pockets in the innovation teams, but it's, it's not yet how networks are, are, are run.
0: Suzanne, you're in the thick of this, trying to get new technology into into these yeah. internetworks. networks.
1: You, you started uh, John uh, with this question, yeah. So we uh, you, you have a lot of people probably listening to us uh, that are on the uh, TSO side and that would say, "Hey, uh, things are happening." Yeah? Is that true? So when I ask that, when I ask myself that question, is it happening? Yeah, you can always say yes, something is happening. Yeah, but. The question is, uh, when you look at, uh, say, German congestion costs, Yeah, in my country, those have been 1.4 billion 2020. They have been 2.4 billion in 2021. They have reached 2.4 billion in April this year, and they will be reaching at least 5 billion this year. So how can a TSO tell me that the situation is about right if people like me have to pay uh, this in my electricity bill uh, and the, the German customers, uh, sorry, it is not uh, going well. And when we see curtailments coming up, and I see in the Netherlands that a full region is completely congested. You can't connect anything to this. I mean, I hear from TSOs that they tell me we get requests to be connected for demand. I mean, they, they, they need to supply yeah, for data centers or companies yeah, that will create jobs. And then the TSO says, that, Guys, sorry, maybe in six years' time, come back again. Don't tell me the situation is about right. Yeah. So what is the, the reason for those problems? Clearly regulation, uh, uh, you, you mentioned that. I totally agree. Regulation is running behind. This CapEx heavy uh, regulation is not fit for purpose. We have examples in the world and in Europe, even where it's going better. UK have this fantastic Pathfinder program, which says essentially um, the system operator... Finds a problem, a challenge, and says, please give me a solution, Market, The market comes with a solution, and this is paid for. We do not have any incentives for TSOs to spend any time on finding new solutions. It's not the case. It's, we are wasting a lot of time in the bureaucratic approval process uh, by the regulators to uh, do anything. That's, that's a big challenge. Yeah? Um, so no reward. Uh, A mindset issue is there as well. So there is a certain degree of uh, complacency sometimes also. Yeah, we are knowing everything uh, already and also the security of supply and the kind of things. And so we we do not uh, take advantage of also the combination of solutions. I'm also the the chair of a little uh, association in Brussels, Current, and we've done a study with a German uh, consultant, Consentech, which shows the combination of technology solutions can reduce to 90% those five billion costs. Why don't we do it? Yeah. So yeah. And I think we really need to have a completely different mindset given that again in Germany, for example, we have increased by level four or five. The ambition on building renewables and now the war the the next winters are putting even more urgency on finding fast solutions. So we need to totally change the approach that we are having. And we need to get out of an approach also to say, which I hear often, an argument: "Yeah, we have no time; our resources are constrained because you do this and that." Yeah, feels like the the one that pushes the bike because he has no time to sit up, you know. And this yeah. is just not this is not possible.
0: How, how optimistic are you, Suzanne? Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges, but as you say, ninety percent of the problems could be solved with technology that's uh, available today. Mm-hmm. So. How optimistic are you? Are you glass half full or glass half empty? Or are you worn down by the challenges? Or are you super optimistic about what you can do in the next years?
1: I'm not so sure that the word optimism is really helpful or pessimism. Yeah, it's more like looking at reality. Yeah. Uh, what we need is to be prepared for uncertainty. That is the most important thing. And we have seen things happen that no one ever expected. I never expected already in 2015 terrorism to tackle Brussels where I was living. I never expected COVID to come. I never expected the Ukraine war to come. All these things came unexpected. Uh, I didn't expect this fast renewables build out. So we need to be prepared for uncertainty. And technology solutions that are mature and come fast are absolutely perfect for that. So then there needs to be a new, new, new combination. The brain is there. The, the engineers that we have across Europe and globally are outstanding. But uh, I think the, we, we maybe miss a conductor. And what makes me happy, so I'm optimistic on this one. I, at least in Germany, we have, or maybe in Europe as well, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, Franz Timmermans. They push. They they understand. Uh, we have a government here in Germany, I, th- I think they push, uh, they try to get out bureaucracy, they try to push. Uh, so we, if you have that political support to find solutions, uh, the TSOs and the regulator will align. If you do not have that, it's going to be bad.
2: And I think it's important to recognize that it's not just technology solutions either, but there are lots of market solutions that are being tried both at transmission and distribution level um, to to address congestion, whether it's local flexibility markets, whether it's microgrids, um, the, the evolution of ancillary services. Uh, however, I, I think that that point um, you made, Suzanne, about the, the redispatch costs, that is a cost that is imposed on consumers. There's there's no incentive to address that either through markets. Um, and when we look at, within the flexibility service about the the value of flexibility or or the opportunity for flexibility, we look at the redispatch costs in Germany and and have to exclude that from our our evaluation because that's that's the cost that isn't open to markets that isn't open to demand side flexibility to help address in conjunction with technologies and, and the various grid enhancing technologies that could be used to reduce those costs.
0: Yes. It, it seems to me that the spotlight is going to shine more and more networks in the next years. Um, the there's been lots of examples. you know. One you gave, Suzanne, was in the Netherlands, big parts of the grid where you can't connect. Um, and yet for the energy transition to hit our carbon targets, we desperately need more connections, both for, for renewable generation and for load. So maybe part of the challenge has been that networks have been in the background quite a lot. Uh, they've performed an incredibly valuable job, a super important job, but they've been in the background. Um, and yet, they're increasingly in the spotlight, and I wonder—I wonder what the effect of that spotlight increasing in its intensity will be: defensive reaction, or, or really, yeah. actually, will that help to change the mindset that you talked about, Suzanne?
1: I do think it's a great question. Yeah, I just remember when I worked for Euroelectric and uh, for the established industry it was totally unimaginable. To see any renewables to take up at all, it sounds like you are in a kind of a little sect or something. Yeah, that you <laughs> believe that renewables could become the story, but exactly the spotlight that you are talking about—the many people that got interested—why do we need these big blocks with those guys that tell us what we have to do while we have another idea? Yeah? It's also about democracy, and I do think even the the, the the choices made by 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 the by the TSOs or by DSOs yeah. They need to be questioned sometimes. Uh, there is of course consultation uh, and all these kind of things, but you always need to question yourself. I also need to question myself, but I think this putting them in the spotlight will lead to a more humble approach, finding collaborative solutions with other parts of the community. Yeah? I think that's, yes, I, I agree.
2: That joker card that you mentioned earlier, of security of supply is going to be tested more and more. We are seeing blackouts on modern grids, whether it's in in, in America, Australia, in, in, in the UK market. So as that objective of delivering security of supply becomes tested, that is going to put them in the spotlight and highlight that the approaches that have been taken are are being tested, aren't delivering security of supply. So Mm -hmm. that might be the impetus uh, driving the need to take a different approach and to look at new solutions.
1: Yeah, and maybe just to add, I think there's a lot of things changing faster than we can follow because we believe something is in a certain way, but it's actually not. i give you the example of France this year. For the first time, yeah, France is importing massively electricity. While we don't have much electricity, we all know that the prices on the wholesale, even in the Baltics, are beyond 4,000 yesterday. Yeah? So uh, France has uh, the challenge that with the nuclear fleet, there's a lot of uh, outage management, but also the, the rivers are heating up, which is unacceptable, of course. Yeah? So there is uh, maybe 20% of the fleet in operation these days. Yeah? And those things we, we didn't know before they could happen, but they completely changed the dynamics of of the system and put the system itself at risk. And therefore, this need for having fast and flexible solutions is absolutely paramount to keep security of supply uh, as we are used to it.
0: What's Suzanne, the company you work for, Smartwise, you, you mentioned they uh, started or spun out of Silicon Valley and you're active in lots of different geographies. When you look at Europe compared to other regions, and look at networks, what contrast do you see? Or do you see the same story in different parts of the world?
1: It's also really a very good question. Yeah, I can only unfortunately say that Europe, for me, is the, my home, uh, home continent, Yeah, is so slow. And uh, we just see that the motion in Australia, Latin America, which honestly, I don't think that Europe takes Latin America as a standard. But they are a standard when it comes to adopting new solutions. Uh, It's not because they say it doesn't matter if you have a blackout. No, they just really take uh, those solutions on board. The US, Canada, all of them are going faster than Europe those days. And that's a pity. And uh, just like this morning, I talked to a German um, uh, association that works with the ministry to export our solutions, German solutions to uh, the world. And I just thought that if you want to export something, our solutions, you need to be the best in the country yeah. to start with, yeah, yeah. So, what else, what, what otherwise you want to want to export? So, I think we yeah, are a little bit in the nostalgia of a golden age where we have certainly been the best. But this is like the light from the stars in the universe now with the web telescope. You bet, yeah, you know, it's a bit like this. So, we, we really need to, to be more uh, uh, humble. And understand what's not going well, what needs to change, and that we need to implement not only invent but implement solutions that we have. If we fail, sometimes you trial there is a fail, so what? Yeah, that's that's part of of innovation. Yeah, but go for a different mentality of yeah. taking some risk because even the yeah, if you say then there could be a blackout. Yeah, but the blackout happens without any tests. Yeah? That is exactly the best counter argument. Yeah, so we, we really need to to change the the, the gears and the mindset fast, different. Uh, and be the best compete
0: <laughs> and in other geographies is it is it mindset that is a difference is it regulation or is it just it's very it's too too much of a generalization to say it's one or the other
1: yeah it's, it's all of the of this i would say yeah it's uh, the attitude more humble i would say it's a more like uh, maybe uh, the, the attitude in the company itself yeah you need to have a Let's call it a partner, align You need to have people that really believe the system can be done differently and must be done differently. The regulation is a big challenge, so it needs to be a solution-oriented uh, approach. That's not a capex-heavy approach and big uh, build out your asset base, which is ridiculous. Uh, and uh, yeah, and 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 then definitely the the, the speed and the yeah mindset. I think those are the big.
2: And I think that that mindset has been driven in some way by how successful both European network operators have been and how well the European grids have integrated with each other to provide that wider resilience, whereas some of the countries that we have seen moving faster in taking up new solutions have have experienced blackouts, Much earlier. So whether it's Latin America, Australia, um, in in the states, whether we go back to 2003 or the more recent blackouts in Texas and and California, you've got those drivers shifting the mindset. In Europe, we we haven't had that until very recently, and and I think that's
0: that's really interesting, John. Uh, I've heard the European network industry talk really proudly about its levels of reliability the quality of service contrast that with maybe north america which is which is lower but maybe there's a need to have shocks or a need to have something that that really forces a change of regulation mindset attitude in the way you described
2: i I think so and and you can look at just how we talk about north america but even North America is not one grid it is multiple grids and seeing how interconnected the european grid is across multiple countries that's that's a huge achievement that's bringing a lot of resilience just from a from a physical perspective and the moves that have been made to couple the markets and allow trading not just of energy but of flexibility across borders being able to do that across so many countries in such a large area is is you know, that's that's a great achievement. However, over recent years, we're also seeing that big grid face events where it splits in two, and. We, we need to recognise that we need to take new approaches, we need to be able to respond to those events. Otherwise, assuming that we're going to be able to share resilience and flexibility across 30 countries with no impediments means that we don't have the resilience to deal with the events that are coming along, whether it's driven by uh, the weather patterns or or a, a, any other cause we will see those shocks and they will come more frequently.
0: Yes. So, yeah, I'm thinking of the analogy between uh, a frog in water that you're heating up gradually and a frog being put into a a pot of boiling water and the numbers you talked about, Suzanne, those uh, congestion costs in Germany of 1.4 billion, 2.4 billion, 5 billion. Trouble with those gradual changes is, people get used to them and um maybe it doesn't i'm not wishing a blackout on europe at all as to provide that shock but maybe you do need some kind of spur or some kind of real stimulus or event or maybe the current energy crisis is
1: yeah, it's I part, do. So, uh, exactly. I, I think so. We, we already have this uh, uh, test now uh, coming. Uh, and even the anticipation of this test. So, in, in Germany or in Europe, we never thought about having a, a winter where we need to freeze. Yeah. yeah. So the anticipation of the next winter, but even also like these terrible droughts when you look at the rivers, when you look at all these climate events around us, everything suddenly is real. Yeah. And even with all our. All the repower EU statements that the renewables built out and this management of the energy crisis are perfectly compatible and go in one direction. I would say that reality shows some elements of those not doing this, like coal are being used massively again and that yeah. kind of things that need to happen. So there needs to be a complete step change in the way we are living, the energy amount we are consuming and uh, the networks, how they are operating, and that needs to happen now. So I do think that uh, this uh, dissipation of big crises, or real crises already being there when it comes to climate, yeah, uh, helps the governments to take uh, action. Uh, even a government that wants to take action very often is blocked by the say, technical knowledge of the regulated monopolies, that we'll tell guys, yes, we would like to as well. But unfortunately, for this, 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 and this reason, it's yeah, impossible. They put, out but the but joke
0: it's the, they put out the joke you talked about. <laughs>
1: yeah. A little bit, yeah. So yeah. and I think this this is going to stop. Uh, and there's some evidence, I see, for example, in Germany, that this is going to stop. These packages that come out, these fast measures that are taken to build the LNG terminals uh, in, in Germany in an unprecedented time, see the... Cable between Poland and Ukraine that's going to be built by half a year. By the way, I also wanted to mention optimization is very important, but building more grids is as well very important. Yeah, we just need to we make these grids, uh, yep. build it out, and all this has to change fast for a yeah. fast approach. Yeah.
0: And I guess being optimistic, John, the UK has is probably a leader in terms of the regulatory framework. Suzanne, you mentioned the Pathfinder projects. Um do you see the UK moving in the right direction, John? Do you think it's it's doing enough? Is it is it got that pace and
2: mindset that we've talked about? Well, we're definitely seeing movement both at the ESO level, so separating the, the national market operator from the transmission network Owner um, at DSO level, looking at the local markets, we're, we're seeing that, that similar moves, as Suzanne mentioned, that complexity. We need more of everything. So we need more grid. We need to optimize the grid we have. Um, that can be done both from new technologies and through markets. So we're seeing movement in, in all of those areas. We're also seeing moves towards the future system operator. So looking not just at electricity, but how do you optimize the system, the energy system as a whole? How can you be better coordinated between heat and transport and gas and electricity? So we're seeing a, a lot of a, a lot of movement and a lot of progress. Um, but as, as I think we've we've explored, the shocks are coming, perhaps sooner than than had been expected. Um, I, I think that the, the risk of losing gas supplies during the winter mean would mean that availability of power is much reduced. And where power is flowing across the network is hugely changed, and and that's that's going that would be quite a shock that that is probably a, a wake up call to move faster and and really um, make some changes very quickly.
0: Okay, so moving in the right direction, but coming back to that question of speed, um, now time's getting the better of us. So let's bring out the talking new energy crystal ball. And I'll set the dial this week to 2030. So a question for both of you, Suzanne and John. Um, If we look at 2030 and imagine ourselves there, to what degree will transport of electricity be a constraint when we're looking at decarbonising power and electrifying transport and heat? So I don't think you can answer that with a number, but but with a feeling. Uh, so, um, Suzanne, do you want to go first, and then John?
1: Yeah. So uh, I think it's a very very good question. Um, it, it it is possibly a constraint when it comes to build out renewables. Clearly, yeah, we need to massively build out in Germany. Only 230 gigawatt PV. Have yeah, 50 today, yeah. You just, yeah. how do you want? Uh, so we need to connect all this load, you need to transport it, and it's not going to be north south anymore, it's also going to be east west. So, new uh constraints on the grid, the grid needs to be fast enough to adapt to those new constraints, build out the networks to make this happen. The wind offshore stuff, yeah, and make this right uh, among the, the countries, uh, is a big challenge. They're building efficiency, all these heat pumps the mobility, all this immobility, uh, by directional charging and all those kinds of things. So it's not one of those elements of the energy transition plus industry, industrial electrification, Yeah, the industry, which is important for jobs and, and prosperity of, of the continent. Yeah, all this uh, is uh, exposed to the bottleneck of grids. So if you do not uh, focus on the grids, you're going to fail on all the others.
0: So my guess is that you think there's probably some bottleneck, but you're hoping that there's as, as little of that bottleneck as possible. Exactly. Yeah.
1: 3% of curtailment is acceptable. Yeah. It's always yeah. said like for renewables, yeah, saying 3% curtail is fine because the cost of connecting these 3% is much higher than the benefit yeah. of doing it. Yeah. But don't go beyond it. Don't have areas where companies cannot set up business. Uh, you know, this, this is impossible.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Thanks, Sam. Uh, John?
2: I, I, I would echo that I think by by 2030 we will have a change in mindset that upgrading the networks building more grid in order to eliminate constraints is just not going to be practical from a cost perspective from a time perspective from the opposition that that, that you get from people not wanting um, transmission lines going going through there the, 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 where they live it's it 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 is going to be a feature of the new energy system that there are constraints, that there are congestion. And we don't have to do what we can to address that through markets, through making best use of the grid that that we have. But recognising that if you curtail solar energy in the middle of a sunny day, when there's more than enough generation being produced, then that's okay. yeah. Because adding more capacity means that there's more solar generation in the morning as demand ramps up, and perhaps in the evening when it's needed, and the the curtailment in the middle of the day is less important because it's offset by having more generation when you actually need it. Yeah, or maybe
0: some curtailment after you've heated up your water tank and charged your electric vehicle and a battery if you have one as, as well. Um, but yeah, accepting that curtailment, it's a, I think a really interesting point you both made that yes, curtailment, some curtailment will be a part of the future a part of the system for sure, uh, but not to the sort of levels or sort of costs that we're seeing us moving in at the moment. Well, we better leave it there. Time's got the better of us. It's been a, a fascinating discussion. Uh, thanks so much, Suzanne, for joining us.
1: Thanks
0: a lot. Thanks, John, for your contributions. Thank you. Um, and maybe we'll have a an episode with a couple of network companies soon and, and hear their perspectives. But it's been uh, really interesting, a critical part of the energy sector. As I said, I think the spotlight will shine more and more on it and uh, like other parts, uh, every part needs to do its bit to have a successful transition. Thanks John, thanks Suzanne, thanks everyone for listening. I hope you found that interesting and look forward to welcoming you back next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.